0: Welcome to this week's HSJ Health Check Podcast. I'm Annabelle Collins and I'm joined by James Illman and Dave West. This week we'll be talking in more detail about the government's new mandate for NHS England, described by the Health Secretary as being short and clear, but which has also been criticised for the loss of ambition around improving public health and system transformation. Also this week, we'll talk a bit more about the government's response to the Hewitt review, of course, linking to the mandate and Palantir's latest deal with the NHS which we're going to start with this week. James, Palantir has caused quite a stir this week after news of a new £25 million deal with the NHS but before we get into the nuts and bolts of that and what it means let's talk a bit about the context, which is really important here, we have we have talked about Palantir a few times before on the podcast, but I think it'd be really really helpful um, to go back in time and talk a bit about their relationship with the NHS over the last few years.
1: Yeah, I think I, th- I think that's a very good idea. Um, just to kind of do a little bit of a recap um, to remind everyone of, of the picture. So Palantir, big US data analytics company, uh, they were drafted in. Uh, to support the NHS in 2020, um, they were brought in to help um, establish the NHS's COVID-19 data store, uh, not not a controversial statement to say that um, uh, the NHS's analytics capacity were uh, some way behind still our um, gold standard. So um, Palantir were brought in without a competitive process. Now during the pandemic a lot of decisions were being made very quickly and a lot of the usual Uh, Checks and balances uh, were skipped over. um, But the fact they were bought in without competitive process um, is uh, is an issue which we will come back to. So bear that in mind as we go through this. Um, There's been a lot of noise around the NHS's relationship with Palantir anyway. Uh, It's a huge U.S. Uh, analytics company we're talking about uh, patient data uh, private firms getting their hands on patient data is always a sensitive issue um, in um, in in NHS land. And um, yeah, we're talking about an analytics company, which has done a lot of kind of counter-terrorism, defense work. So uh, for various reasons, it's not the most transparent of organizations. Um, and there's a lot of kind of political and philosophical objections and concerns around Palantir. But I don't really want to get into them uh, today because um, basically does you, you, you can read anything on, yeah, all manner of stuff about that in the national media. But, but I think what, what's really important and what's important this week, particularly with this deal just being announced, is the way that the processes that NHS England is going through to continually reappoint Palantir, rather than uh, sort of getting into the company's conduct or other business that it does or does not do. So, yeah, Palantir got a £23 million deal in December 2020 uh, to continue working on the uh, COVID-19 data store again without um, competition. This was then extended to January, uh, sorry, in January 2023. So this January just gone for six months, which takes us up to uh, June now. Um, and as you guessed it, that extension was was granted without Um, a competitive process now it's important to stress that nhse insists that no procurement rules have been broken and that all these contracts were awarded uh in the proper way this latest contract was um by a official government framework
0: so james just focusing on the, the this new contract what exactly is it for sure sure
1: so yeah um as I think it's important to realise that Palantir kind of came in to do one thing—I set up the data store—but um, its role and its kind of uh, tentacles have spread significantly since then, um, and uh, and much of it is around the uh, the use of uh, the company's Foundry platform, which is um, it's a, a, a platform for organising and analysing big data sets. Um, and it's been used to underpin a critical new um, uh, data integration programme, which is part of NHS England's IECCP programme, which is the Improving Elective Care Coordination for Patients programme. Now, NHS England has branded this elective recovery data integration system, which is being taken up by a number of trusts, um, the Care Coordination Solution, the CCS another acronym for us, we love an acronym. So uh, the CCS, uh, it's important to remember, cannot function without Palantir's Foundry uh, platform. That's what it's built on. And senior NHS figures have gone around telling trusts that uh, the CCS, i.e. the Foundry platform, must be their primary mechanism, quote, uh, for care coordination. Um, instead of the numerous rival products that are out there. So um, there's various documents that I've seen, they've been authored by senior uh, NHS England people, and they say that this is to ensure that the NHS overall can get value for money out of its um, contract with Palantir. Um, so this latest 12-month deal um, is described by NHS England as a transitional deal, Um, The contract notice says uh, it's um, it's to ensure the smooth transition and exit service of critical products that were developed to respond to the COVID-19 pandemic uh, and also for elective recovery purposes to um, an alternative provisions, including the transition of products to the new FDP, that's Federated Data Platform Supplier, following completion of the procurement process and the award of the FDP contract so we're back with our old friend the federated data platform which again uh, regular listeners of the platform of the podcast will be very familiar with as well readers of HSJ so the FDP what is it it's a huge deal it's a 480 million pound contract five year contract with a two year extension uh, the winner of which we are expecting in september or october to be announced um, now, what what's it designed to do? It's to um, ensure or integrate uh, just so many of the NHS NHS's fragmented, fragmented data systems. Um, so each NHS organisation under the plans will have access to their own version of the platform, um, and they should be able to connect and collaborate with other data platforms, and thereby make it easier to integrate health and care services. So um, the FDP will also, crucially, replace the COVID-19 data store, which, as we've said, is provided by Palantir. So you won't be surprised to know that a Palantir really want the FDP deal, and b it's considered one of the favourites to get the deal. Um, but this deal, in theory, at least. Is a contest. So a procurement notice went out. I think it was in January. They said at the time, put your bids in, and um, yeah, uh, a a um, uh, a winner will be announced in September. Now that, that could slip to October, but you know we're broadly looking at um, one being announced in the next few months. So this transitional contract, coming back to what is this 25 million pound contract? In theory, at least involves the bundling of all the existing work that Palantir has done for the NHS both in terms of the Covid-19 recovery store and the elective recovery stuff, into a format which can be transferred to whichever new provider ends up winning the FDP. Now as we've already established that could be Palantir itself so it could end up bundling up loads of stuff to transfer to itself Um, and if it is bundling up stuff to transfer to someone else, then that in itself could be very, very um uh complicated because we're talking about a lot of sort of proprietary uh software and and, and this stuff is in itself um very uh complicated. So um unsurprisingly, uh there's been quite a um reaction to all this. And there's one. A uh, senior NHS trust executive put it to me and they, you know, this is this this is a few that wasn't just put to me by one senior trust executive. This is, uh, a, a, they just put it quite nicely, uh, but they just said NHS um, England seems to have given Palantir a timely leg up over any rivals and is acting as almost a channel partner in helping mm-hmm. the company scale up p- products across the NHS through the backdoor of its current contract. I can see why rivals are very annoyed. Um, so yeah, um and then of course there's all the uh the other noise around you know another kind of private firm being brought in and and we've seen a lot of these uh projects in the past get torpedoed uh for um various of, of the kind of debates around patient confidentiality that um uh yeah uh, that mm-hmm. are sparked by big us analytics companies, private companies coming in, uh, well, big, big private companies from anywhere um, coming in and uh, getting their hands on NHS data. So, um, yeah.
0: Do you get a, a sense at all of, of, this isn't a very sophisticated, sophisticated way of putting it, but why the NHS is so keen on Palantir?
1: Um, that's a very good question. So, um, a lot of people at NHS England view Palantir's uh, products as best in class. You know, these these mm. are market-leading products for doing uh, the kind of data analytics which is required to integrate the kind of systems that the NHS has got. So um, that is, you know, uh, the, the, the claim. Um, the counterclaim from critics is, no, it's not. There's plenty of other systems that do it just as well and just as cheaply um Palantir wields a lot of power because it's a very big company and um yeah there is starting to be something of uh uh, shall we say movement between uh people in senior NHS England jobs and people in jobs in Palantir they have certainly it is it is in undeniable that Palantir have hired a lot of people from NHS England, so the links between the NHS, the higher echelons of the NHS, and Palantir have been strengthened significantly over the last few years. That is undeniable. But you know, so uh, on on the, the 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 kind of NHS England argument would be this is the best in class stuff, and anyway we are running a uh, perfectly legitimate open contest. Uh, the critics would say, no, there are other products that do it just as well. But Palantir uh, has just, you know, um, is a, a a very wealthy American company, and it's um, it's it's gaining undue influence.
0: And you've you've touched on this a little bit um, already, but <laughs> is the logical next step that Palantir? is likely to be awarded the the federated data platform contract it just it just seems like they're gearing up to it I mean I don't want to <laughs> you know uh, no, influence anything but you know no
1: the that's that is what uh, most people think is going to happen mm. but um it might not you'd be a, you'd be fairly foolish to make firm predictions uh, on on this um but certainly The optics and the perception of the fairness of the process are problematic for the NHS. Now, say it goes through the process and then awards it to someone else, those problems go away. But if they go through the process and award it to Palantir, even though it's been a perfectly fair process, I'm not saying it has or it has not, uh, let's be hypothetical hypothetical scenario, they go through a completely fair process and Palantir wins it completely on the merits of spec in the contract they have a massive perception problem uh and it's it's a problem that's not going to go anywhere uh go away anytime soon and people will say this was a um a process following a decision rather than a decision following the process
0: interesting um and i think finally james i was just wondering do you think that because this this latest deal has got as i said it's caused a bit of a stir it's got quite a lot of attention do you think there's any chance it could affect their their chances of of being successful a bit of a challenging final question for you sorry about that yeah
1: yeah i'm gonna have to plead the fifth on that one i i just just don't know i mean it's um it there's obviously a lot going on behind the scenes it's a very confusing covering the story has been incredibly confusing there's been briefings there's been counter briefings there's been Uh, all manner of confusion around what on earth is going on Mm. and um, I would not want to make any uh, firm predictions about it or about the probity of the process that is ongoing but my final point would be the optics certainly are
0: a problem Thanks very much, James. And I think oh, there's yeah. actually a very nice um, segue into our next subject, which is the NHS mandate. Which, interestingly, I thought interestingly, um, explicitly mentions the the federated um, data platform. And um, Dave, do you think this kind sort of underlines that this is a real priority for the government, sort of spending money on this?
2: Yeah, I think I think it does. Um, it wouldn't be happening unless it was a um, backed by um Steve Barclay and by government because it is a big chunk of money and there's not many big chunks of of spending getting signed off at the moment especially not where it's a bit complicated and a bit controversial um and um Steve and and yet as you said technology in general um the adoption of technology is one of um a small number of the small number of priorities which will have survived at the top level in in the mandate and um uh, and so it's pretty clear that it's a priority of Barclay, um, and he said um, at the NHS Confederation conference last week that uh, indeed one of the, you know, one of the very few sort of quite clear uh, statements he made was that he wanted to protect technology spending. I think, you know, James and others probably have a scepticism about whether most technology spending is being protected, but, you know, perhaps some is more than other areas, and this FDP contract for now is the money is clearly clearly there to spend.
0: And I mentioned in the intro that the the mandate, well, Steve Barclay described the mandate at the NHS confed conference last week as being short and clear. I mean, what what do you think about this uh, description of it, Dave? Yeah,
2: it was sh- it's pretty short and pretty clear. I think it sort of w- one of Steve Barclay's uh, flaws is not the ability to be uh, clear and and brief about his priorities because he's basically got like a small number, like access targets and. Um, and a bit of technology tapped on the side, uh, so he's that's that's one of uh, his, a problem he doesn't have, um, and um, so we'll come on to talk about the the Hewitt Review response. But the mm. there's been a movement, um, which actually, um, I think Steve um, was very clear about in like one of his first speeches as um, health and social care secretary back uh, like last summer, autumn, um, when he was there's a kind of um. You know, as your governments were toppling uh, very rapidly around that time, if you remember, and um, but he kind of made a sort of slightly frenzied speech. But one of the things there was, you know, we need to have much less targets, uh, much less objectives, um, uh, and he's kind of stayed true to that, and then. Um, Hewitt, um, the Hewitt review played into that later in the autumn by um, talking about how uh, starting to talking and being pretty clear right from the beginning of the review that they, she thought fewer targets were needed and shorter mandates, shorter NHS planning guidance from from NHS England, um, and so you yeah, know the department's been able to to deliver on that, uh, you know, with this latest mandate. I think there's um, I think there's quite a few sort of uh, uh, you know important provisos on on that, um, such as um, you know it is useful it is a bit useful to have a shorter document and a smaller list of priorities, but I, I think we all know. Um, but you know, problem one, does it really mean that people don't have to actually do all those things? Well, no, because you know, everyone knows that you know. Uh, uh, our cover- as our coverage of the mandate highlighted, some of the stuff that's been slashed is about population health management and, mm-hmm. you know, obesity um, and, and prevention, vaccination. I mean, does that mean that, you know, staff and managers and leaders around the place are going to now be able to forget about population health management and obesity like, and vaccinating, vaccinating people? Obviously, it doesn't, and it'd be a stupid thing to do. So it, it's a bit of a, there's kind of an, an, an obsession um, in in a in a sort of national centralized system with these documents that come and tell you what the priorities are and they are important because they um do um, you know constrain people's actions and decisions and they do dictate where the funding flows um so um but you know doesn't it make that much difference if the oper- if the if the planning guidance is a bit few you know is half the length for a couple of years. I'm not sure. I mean it's inevitably gonna start you know gathering priorities again as soon as we get a new government with new new ideas. Um, mm. and of course problem number two, you then get a backlash from everything that's been left out because they know they can be a bit less a priority and a bit get a bit less money. So um so you know those people who are clearly working on obesity and vaccination and and population health are um and, and you know public health people have been have highlighted that this doesn't seem a very sensible thing to leave out of the of the mandate um, and yeah, they're coming back and community health services mental health services there's a bit less um a bit less attention on there um, you yeah, know must-do's and kind of priorities in in the mandate so again it's something all these things that the NHS can't really can't really ignore um, so it can be a bit of a reductive debate
0: and then I suppose as well in terms of NHS, role in supporting the development of ICBS. Did it kind of go into much detail around that? Um, I think it was mentioned, but it didn't give much in terms of, um, I suppose, the how the the, the transformation of um, ICs. I suppose.
2: No, and I don't think the government is really that interested in in all that. And that um, you know, mm. that the important thing here is probably to come on to talk about the Hewitt mm. re- review, which was. A review of integrated care systems uh, and their autonomy and accountability um, you know instigated by Jeremy Hunt as chancellor last autumn and then um, carried out pretty quickly and um, delivered you know by the spring and, um, uh, at, and, and so that was about and, and of course you know integrated care system leaders and their representatives the yeah, NHS confederations pretty invested in all this Patricia Hewitt is an integrated care system leader um as well as uh, you know former health secretary and other things um and they were quite enthusiastic about this agenda because you know they want more autonomy from their uh, for their ICSs um and they want to, to keep ICS development on, on the agenda and uh, and kind of keep them uh, moving up the moving up the list um that you know, as we reported um a lot of the specific recommendations from Hewitt are not taken up and you know a lot of the most eye-catching recommendations like creating hops in you know, a high uh, area sort of nominating ICSs which are the best and should be given more freedoms you know that is not taken up um, setting a particular one percent target for increasing spending on prevention that is not taken up um, uh, stuff about um, particular powers around to, to have more freedoms for ICSs around payment mechanisms that is not taken up so a lot of that is um, is rejected and I think um, <laughs> And uh, uh, and I think that reflects the fact that the government wasn't the government, particularly the Department of Health and Social Care, and Steve Barclay was not very invested in this um, in this report and this work from from the outset. So it's been quite a quite difficult thing for for Patricia and colleagues to to develop.
0: what was the general sort of response really to the? The government, the, the response to the response is what I'm asking well, about. Response, yeah, <laughs> uh, the
2: response, response. Yeah, exactly. There was a lot of that uh, at Confed, and um, the we did uh, we touched on this with uh, last week's podcast with mm-hmm. Matthew Taylor, um, and then we did HSJ. You know, we did get a little uh, telling off by the, the by by uh, Matthew and the powers that be um, because um, sort of finger wagging for kind of pointing out the inconvenient fact here that, as I said, numerous of the of the of the recommendations were. Um, were uh, were were either rejected or um, mm-hmm. sort of deferred or get the kind of like oh yes we really agree with that and in fact we agree with it so much we've been doing it for the last you know year or two years Um you know this is already in the NHS England operating framework this is already in the government's plans sort of um, you know furiously agreeing about the motherhood and apple pie stuff um, but you know we're always sort of coming from a place of of understanding um, here at HSJ and you um, and so, well, what actually the response to the response was um, was pretty positive, and I think people, you know, NHS Confederation welcomes this, and NHS Providers sort of welcomes this, and kind of um, uh, and um, and indeed, I think people in the Department of Health and, and Patricia herself was, you know, said uh, at the conference that she feared it could have been worse, and um, <laughs> basically uh, uh, and. I think people within the department and associated with the review thought it could have been worse and that it actually landed, you know, reasonably well. Um, the Treasury, you know, uh, as uh, Jeremy Hunt commissioned it, in the Treasury has obviously kind of passed it. Uh, uh, p- sort of signed it off despite the fact it doesn't really give a very clear and prominent role for the, the Care Quality Commission and which and, and a big doesn't give an enormous boost to transparency, which I think is what they were about. Um, so why, you know, why are they pleased? Well because I think the expectations were um, were quite low. Um, it, as um, you know, when the review itself was published, there was no comment from Steve Barclay. You know, he can muster himself to put out a comment, whereas the chancellor could sort of put out a tweet saying he was really pleased about it. Um, and Barclay kind of didn't engage. Um, in the review at earlier stages to say to to kind of talk to Patricia about well, look this is what we could do this is what I'd be willing to do this is what you know where we could could find some common ground Um, the review wasn't about his small number of key priorities which are access and technology you know touched on technology and things but it didn't um, didn't, that's not what it's about Um, so I think What what Tricia and um, Matthew Taylor and others at CONFED were underlining was that the the kind of win here is that there is now clear cross-party support for integrated care systems for not abolishing them, um, uh, which, you know, is a win, albeit, you know, it feels like a a smallish one, but it is during the the review period that that was streeting for uh, Labour has come out and said, well, we're definitely, you know, not planning to abolish them, by the way, Um, and which is. Useful, um, and also during. The, at- and, you know, the government has expressed its broad support for less targets, you know, let a bit more autonomy and uh, moving in that for integration and prevention and moving in that general direction. So I think way back when we talked about what this review could bring on the podcast before around the you know when it was started, kind of say, well, actually the minimum expectation, um, but not necessarily an, an unhelpful one, is just to keep ICSs on the agenda um, and kind of while actually the, the Department of Health is not very interested itself, it keeps them on the agenda, keeps people thinking. Thinking about well, what should they be doing, what should they be doing next and points to some things about how the, a, a future government um, of whatever color could attack that future government of, 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 of any whatever color could take. So I think this kind of why um, why the response to response has actually been has been reasonably uh, sort of uh, positive if um, muted is because um, it is because th- they thought well, it might be worse and they're pleased to have got this kind of um, win of keeping ICSs on the agenda and, and not getting abolished.
0: Do you think that's potentially going to be its sort of main achievement? And looking back on it,
2: yeah, I mean, I thought that probably would be its main mm. achievement, and it, and and it, it, it may there maybe it really depends what happens with with you know uh, politics over the next couple of years, um, whether people will pick up some of the recommendations and run with it a bit more, whether people can actually sort of implement some of this stuff locally. One one thing that was sort of um one point of contention I think that's kind of still uh open open a bit is 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 um the statement that NHS England um should do more of its performance management and sort of assurance of providers should do that more through ICSs, which is contested and and kind of um not as much of a necessarily a great a straightforward idea as it as it might sound, but that's do it review kind of, kind of Suggested that that should probably be the case, um, whereas NHS England has um, keeps pointing back to it, and and indeed um, associated with that that ICSS should just get more autonomy from NHS England, um, you know, to, to do all that sort of stuff themselves rather than the NHS England region, especially kind of looking over their shoulder. Um, they um, in NHS England, it seems like during the course of the review, the, the position of NHS England was that, well, we've got our operating framework, which we published last year after much, you know, um, sort of uh, much hand-wringing about all this. And that. And, and in my opinion, it's not a very clear document, but what it does ultimately state is that providers which are in SOF 3 or 4, uh, which is most of them, um, i.e. The, the troubled provider, more troubled end of the spectrum, they are directly managed by NHS England, mostly not by the ICS or ICB, um, whereas what the review seems to imply is that well actually in the vast majority of the cases they should be managed with by the ICS ICB. Now NHS England seems to have kind of said well like we're not going back to that, we only just settled it, but they did, um, uh, Amanda Britchard uh, did a sort of seem to indicate at the um, CONFED uh, in questions after her CONFED speech that they may revisit this operating framework might be willing to look back at that. But um, I can't see a big shift taking place. Um, The other thing about which I should mention um, was that I thought um, one of the good recommendations from Patricia was to highlight this sort of process of penny packets of of extra funding being doled out during the year with like enormous um, lists of accountability targets, the classic Examples over the last year was in in winter, uh the the kind of extra discharge funding, which you know just does I think Steve Barclay was talking and, and Patricia Hewitt were talking about having less um micromanagement. There's like a you know, a relatively small amount of money comes out with like weekly reporting on how many beds have been set up and how many discharges have taken place and how many of this, that, and the other. Um so just you know, the exact the exact opposite of the kind of thing there. Advocating, and she, you know, she was clear that these penny there should be less of these penny packets. Well, I think the review, maybe it'll be a bit harder for um for for that to happen over the next year. I think the the response review does say we will try to try to behave mm-hmm. better in this regard. But you know, when it actually comes along, can they resist it? And NHS England it, itself, and you know, everyone pretty much mm-hmm. in the NHS, except there will be a winter plan, and there will be loads of must dos, you know, and there will be like loads of things to tick off and submit against it don't they so is that is that going to stop I don't I don't know
0: yes well thanks very much Dave I think i um, at point to wrap up the podcast this week thanks as well to James and just a reminder our podcast is available every week on our website and wherever you listen to your podcasts and please don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already thanks for joining us and we'll be back next week